Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you who spent time on your long weekend to be here together. I hope that uh, this will, you'll find a return for your time uh, threefold here this morning as we enjoy worshiping and learning together. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the upcoming sermon series on Revelation before we jump into what we'll talk about this morning. Something I've been looking forward to for a long time, and it reminded me of a story when I was a youth pastor just over 10 years ago. I was working at New Life Church in Stonewall, a Baptist General Conference church, and uh, as a youth pastor, I, one, of, one summer I got to do staff training at Bird River, Bible, uh, Bird River Bible Camp, which at that point was still a BGC camp. We were sharing it with Southland. And so when I was doing the, my uh, training, it was about half Baptist um, uh, kind of staff and half Southland staff. And then one night over, uh, over a meal, we started to get into this, this end times discussion. Now, I didn't know really anything about Southland, so keep that in mind. So they asked me, hey, Pastor Andrew, what do you think? And I said, the worst possible thing. I said, I don't really care. <laughs> well, for one segment of the group, especially Southland at that time, end times theology was a huge part of their teaching, a huge emphasis. And so they lit into me. And I, I had to back up a bit. I said, I do care, but I, want to, I like to keep it simple. Uh, Jesus wins. He's coming back. Get ready. <laughs> And on one hand, I think, I think I hit on something there. On one hand, I think when it comes to studying the last book of the Bible and any of our eschatology, what we think about the, the last things, the last days, we need to keep it simple. We need to keep the big picture in mind and not get caught up in all the details. But on the other hand, those who were from Southland Church were, were right in their criticism of me. I don't care is not a very good response to that question. You see, for a long time, even as a pastor, I had been avoiding a lot of revelation, avoiding a lot of, of that literature and of that end times theology because of, of so many things. It intimidated me. I didn't really know how to treat it properly. I saw it being misused and abused by other people uh, around me or in the church community. And so I didn't want to be one person who would unwittingly also abuse it in a different manner. And so for those reasons, I just chose not to read it not to study it very deeply or not to take a course on it. But that conversation was important to me because then it spurred me on later in my seminary education to ensure that I at least took a course on Revelation one time. And that course was, pun intended, a revelation. It was really important to me because all of a sudden, everything I found intimidating about this book, I realized that there was a way in which we can truly read this and appreciate it. It's, it's a book that, yes, is written in different types of language. It has vivid imagery and, and deep symbolism, but it's a book that is designed to be understood. And when we can allow this book to speak for itself and, and try as hard as we can to put ourselves into that position of the original audience, then there is a message that is life-changing. Because Revelation gives us the clearest picture of Jesus as he is right now. Right now. And it shows us the huge implication of how that means we should live our Christian lives right now. And so when you come next week, and hopefully those weeks after, and as we dig faithfully into the book of Revelation together, I don't want you to come expecting charts and graphs and predictions or anything like that. I want us all to come humbly and to say, okay, we're going to listen to what the book has to say, and we want to understand it in the way that it was designed to be understood as faithfully as we can. And throughout that, you might not agree with me, and I also want to say that that's okay. We're going to do a lot of sermon Q&As at the end of our Revelation series, and I've even invited Pastor Earl, do you remember agreeing to this? I invited you to come up with me for some of those Q&As. And sometimes, good, he agreed to do it, so he's going to. And, and we're going to try to field some of those questions. And you know what? He might have a different answer than I do. 
And you might still disagree too. I'm not here to tell you this is the way it is. I want to lead us in exploring the book together. And my hope is that the same thing will be true for you as was true for me as a student years ago. That the book would come alive and there would be an encouragement. Something that is required reading, not one that we tend to skip over. So that is my little preamble. Uh, I'm looking, really looking forward to the series. It's going to take us from next week all the way to Advent. It'll be 11 weeks long, uh, which seems like a long time, but we're not even going to have enough time to do everything I'd like to do. But it's going to be a wonderful experience. Good. But that's not what I have in mind for this morning. This morning I want to talk about friendship in a sermon that I call Friend or Foe. And there are a lot of good sayings about friendship out there. Lots of pithy sayings. And here's my personal favorite. You can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. <laughs> I bet you that's not how you expected the sermon was about to begin this morning. And I probably shouldn't have shared with you that that's my favorite saying about a friend's. Here's another good one. This one is much more productive. Friendship is like money, easier made than kept. Easier made than kept. The reason we have so many of these sayings, and you might be mindful of a few others I didn't bring up, is that we, as a, as a culture, as a world, we're fascinated by friendship, and we're also spurned by friendship. We know that it affects everybody in some way. Now, 90s pop culture was a good uh, frame of reference for how into friendship we are. We had, a, we had a sitcom called Friends. I hear it did pretty well. Then Toy Story came out, and what was that one song that always got stuck in our heads? You've got a friend in me. And even Seinfeld, which was supposed to be a show about nothing, was really just a a show about a group of friends, really weird friends trying to make a life of it in the city, New York. We are fascinated by friendship. One of the reasons is because friendships are these vital relationships that have the ability to offer everybody meaningful connection. Each and every one of us can have good Friendships, regardless of your marital status or your sexual orientation, your gender identity, your family situation, your age, your past relationships, friendships are available to us all. So that was one thing that drew me to this sermon here this weekend. It's like, okay, we can talk about friendship because it impacts everybody who's listening to these words. That impact will be felt differently. Uh, One example that I have of someone who has thought and taught a lot about friendship is Dr. Wesley Hill. Someone I've mentioned here before that I have a lot of respect for. Dr. Hill is a gay, celibate Christian. And so he had to do a lot of searching into how do I find intimacy and connection in my life. You see, he is gay, but he does not affirm same-sex marriage because as a theologian, which he is, he truly believes, is convicted, that marriage is related to our relationship with God. And you don't change one picture without changing the other. And so because of that, he is convinced that he must not affirm same-sex marriage, even though he himself is gay. He also really speaks loudly against the damage done by what you call conversion therapy, this kind of crass or oversimplified way of, of praying the gay away. He says, no, 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 this is something that I am. And he, he's at peace with that. And so his solution is to live a life of celibacy. He is gay, and yet he is also someone who does not affirm same-sex marriage. Therefore, he is a gay, celibate Christian. And so where does he find his relationships, his connection, any intimacy? It's through deep spiritual friendships. And so he has written a few books, one called The Aim of Christian Friendship. And there are a number of quotes that I want to share with you that will help guide these thoughts as we go our way. Here's the first quote by Dr. Hill. 
Over the last decade of my life, I've realized more fully the importance and true meaning of friendship. As a celibate Christian without the likelihood of future marriage, and for others like me, friendship within community is one of the main ways our sanctification works itself out. Friends point out our strengths and weaknesses and challenge us to move forward. We need this in order to grow and mature in the faith as we struggle to believe alongside of one another. We need friendship. It's not going to be my ideas of friendship or even Dr. Hill's quotes that will truly be our guide into truth. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. Because if you like sayings about friendship, then the book of Proverbs is full of them. And of course, among the the many good reasons, why should we consult God's word on friendship? Because he is the source and example of all healthy relationships. And yes, I want to emphasize that word healthy. We all have friends. We all are in friendships. But are they healthy? Are they productive? Are they God-honoring? Do you have true friends and are you a true friend? And because God has designed us to be in community, because he has designed friendship, we want to ensure that our relationships reflect that design. So before we go further, I just want to invite you to pray with me one more time. Gracious God, we appreciate the way that you have knit us together in your image. And as image bearers, we know that we have been designed to be in community with one another. One of the main ways we are in that community is in our friendships. And God, I pray that you would give us some clarity, not only into your design of friendship, but clarity into how healthy our friendships are. And I pray through all of this, not only would we look at other people that are our friends, but that we would ask ourselves, are we true friends based on your teaching? We ask that your spirit would guide us into this truth. We pray it in your name. Amen. So where do we start? I would start by saying this, that your friends form you. Your friends form you. We can see this in Proverbs 13, verse 20. 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In your life, friends will impact you and form you in a tremendous way. And if they are good, godly friends, then you will be, like Solomon says, you will walk with the wise and you will become wise. But this is not due to some sort of weird osmosis or magic that somehow, if you're just in the proximity of a wise person, they will rub off on you. No, and this is due to the fact that when you surround yourself with wise and godly friends, they will have a profound and positive impact because you will do life with them and you will see them react in different situations and, and, and you will experience their support and you will follow their example. So the people you surround yourself with will impact you. And if they are wise, godly people, then that impact will be positive. And yet, as many Proverbs have, the other side of the coin, if you are the companion of fools, well, then you will suffer harm. In the same way, you don't come to harm as some sort of automatic consequence of how dare you surround yourself with foolish people. But you do hurt yourself when you surround yourself with those who drag, yourself, drag you down and who continue to make poor life choices. It's very simple. Your friends form you, and if you surround yourself with wise people, you will be wise. And if you surround yourself with fools, then you will suffer harm. Now, one thing I want us to take away is that I do not want you to deceive yourselves into downplaying downplaying the influential nature of your friendships. 
So it can be easy when you're in a friendship with someone that you really like being with and that you have a lot of fun with, you can justify staying in, in that friendship, even if it's unhealthy, by thinking that, well, you know, I know that, that this person doesn't always do what, what I would do in certain situations, but like, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just one friendship. It doesn't impact me that much. Or you might say, I know this group of friends really, really isn't uh, going down the right path, but, but if I'm still part of that friendship, then maybe I can take them with me. You know, I can drag them up. They don't necessarily have to drag me down. And there are certain different ways in which we will justify staying in friendships that are unhealthy because we lessen the potential of that impact. But I would say strongly that who your friends are can alter the entire trajectory of your life. I think this is especially true and critical of students, whether you're a younger student or a high school student or you're now a young adult and you're going into, into college and university or you're working. Whatever the case may be, during these, what we would consider the most formative years, your friend groups will alter the trajectory of your life. It was certainly true of me uh, when I graduated uh, from high school. I immediately went to Providence College and I, I moved, my, my family is in Alberta, so I moved to Manitoba into dorm, and, and my, I knew my first year was going to be important, and I was looking to make good friendships. And it, it was true. I found people that I really connected with, that I had fun with, had common interests in, and we really enjoyed being together and, and uh, kind of playing pranks on one another and playing video games and staying up late and eating all the bad food. It was great. And around Christmas time, we all took a break and went home to our families, and we came back, and we all realized at the same time, this was God's leading, that we really needed something spiritually beneficial to be a part of our friendship, that this was going to be a good friendship. And so we still did all those other things, but we started doing a weekly Bible study together. And as any good young man in the early 2000s, we started to read Wild at Heart, right? This is so yeah. What you had to do. Didn't matter what we read. We just we knew we wanted a, a, a spiritual component to this friendship. And because of that, because of that, first of all, most of those friends are still close friends of mine today. And secondly, that was part of my trajectory, a small but important part of why I'm here today as a pastor and a big part of my own faith journey. So don't downplay the impact of your friends. Now, since friends are so influential, our goal should be find, to find friends who bring us closer to God, which is where we can go to Scripture today and ask ourselves the question at the outset of this sermon, friend or foe? Which, by the way, church, this is my all-time, I'm most proud of this sermon title, of any sermon titles I've ever come up with, right? Friend or foe, F-A-U-X as in friend or fake, not a true friend. And the question we are going to ask ourselves in each step of the way is we learn what a true friend looks like. Do I have true and wise friends? Do they bring me closer to God? Or do I find myself suffering harm from those I choose to be with? Companion of fools or companion of the wise? And then we're also going to ask ourselves, am I a true wise friend? Do I bring other people closer to God? Or do I find myself causing harm to those who choose to be with me? And to do this, we're going to continue to dig into the book of Proverbs with these questions on our hearts and in our minds. Where do we begin? What does a true friend look like? The first thing is that a true friend loves. A true friend loves. You can keep your Bibles open to Proverbs. We're going to skip over to Proverbs 17, verse 17. Easy to remember, 17, 17. And we hear the words written there, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend loves. And love speaks to the depth of friendship that we should strive for. It is important that we must not keep all of our friendships at a superficial 
level. At some point, at some time, we need to know who those friends are in our lives that we can dig down deep with. Who those friends are that we can truly say, I love this person as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ. I love them. They love me. Love is the best way to describe the friendship that we have. That's the level of friendship that we are to strive for. And while we must make sure that not all of our uh, friendships are superficial, I'm not saying that all of our friendships have to be this deep either. Again, as I continue to get older, and it continues to happen to me year after year, I realize that friendship is much more about quality than quantity. So I need to know who those few people are that are truly in my corner, that I can truly say, I love them and they love me. It doesn't have to be everyone. You can have acquaintances, you can have friendships around common interests, but you need a few people who love you and you love them. And then these relationships will eventually move, move from mutual admiration, someone that I have a lot of common things and interests with, I, I, I like this person, I enjoy this person, I look up to them, and then it moves in love to mutual edification. This person pushes me closer to God. This person helps me live life better. This person helps me be a better spouse or, or parent or grandparent. Those are the, that's some of the outpouring of a, a friendship that is deep, uh, deeply defined by love. Now, unsurprisingly, the best way that a friend can show us love is to bring us closer to God. A wise, true friend helps us become a better follower of Christ, something that Wes Hill talks about in his next quote. Christian friendship isn't just about grabbing a drink or dinner or vacationing together. Those are good things, even great things that need to be celebrated. And all of which can look like things we do as being these kinds of friends to one another. But Christian friendship is also about the fact that we are friends and family because we have been united around a common father and a common older brother. It is about keeping and encouraging each other in the faith and fighting for one another's souls. Friendship is no longer simply exists for the goodness of the friendship in and of itself. It exists to remind one another of the glory of God who created us in his image. And I love, I love that one phrase. He says, friendship, it's true, spiritual friendship exists so that we can fight for one another's souls. That's a friendship of love. That's a true friendship in the way that God designed. And I've been very grateful to have some of those friends in my life. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I had a good group of friends. I wasn't looking for any other friends, really, but I just uh, uh, um, met a guy. There's another guy named Andrew, and we hit it off immediately. We, we really realized that, that we appreciated each other, and we had a lot of things in common, and, and he laughed at my jokes, <laughs> and I laughed at his jokes, and we finally realized, if you want to be my friend, just, think, just tell me I'm funny, and then you guys are in, okay? I'm just very simple. And so we had all this stuff in common. And we thought, hey, let's hang out a little bit more. And so we did. And we liked the same movies and liked the same food. And after a few times of hanging out, pretty soon we were talking about some of the deep secret things that we hadn't talked to anybody else about or very few people about. And he became someone right away that was in my corner. Not just because of the things that began that friendship, but things that truly mattered. And so now we say we had an unforeseen bromance and then on May long weekend when we met, that's our anniversary, right? We talk about things, we're just true friends, we love one another. But the reason is he became someone that I knew was fighting for my soul and vice versa. And I'm, I'm grateful to call him friend today. We still try to do that for one another. And yet even here as a pastor three years ago, you know, September 1st, 2019, almost exactly three years ago, I moved to Steinbach, Manitoba and became pastor at Stony Brook Fellowship. And it's been three easy, normal years since then. It's been simple. 
simple. One of my questions is, though, am I going to have deep friendships in the church? Not everybody really wants to befriend the pastor. That's a dangerous thing to do. Who in the world is going to be willing to do that? I was looking for it. I was open to it, and it's really been through uh, my discipleship group that I'm a part of. I went went through the, the Conquer group with a bunch of other guys last fall, and out of that, there is now a discipleship group, and, and those guys have become guys that are, that are fighting for my soul. And I appreciate that. Where, is I, where do I, as a pastor, go for people who are fighting for me, and I can fight for them? And so that discipleship group of, of, of four guys has been vital, vital to me, and I hope that you all have those groups of people here in the church as well. But true friendship as defined by the proverb we read together, doesn't, it's not just about love. It's about friends who love always. Always. And that means even and especially when you are being less than lovable. <laughs> I've got a good story. I know I've shared some of these stories before, so humor me if you remember them. It was also another Bible school story, part of my core group of friends that, that I was in this Bible study with and that, that's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he went with another group of people to Winnipeg and he didn't take me along. Now, when you're stuck as an 18-year-old at Providence College with no car, when a friend of yours doesn't take you to Winnipeg, that is mean. That is mean-hearted. It's mean-spirited. I can't be stuck here between two cornfields forever. So I was mad. A true friend wouldn't do that. So I went to get even with him. I took some Cheerios, and I crunched them up and put them all over his bed sheet. Mm. And I went to the the dorm fridge, and I found he had a, a Pepsi, and I drank it all. And then he had one of those little trolls, you know, those little naked trolls that you would have on your desk in like the 90s and 2000s with the hair? And I gave him a crew cut. (laughs) He was like, sergeant troll. Now, I was mad. And he comes back and he says, I was looking everywhere for you. I couldn't find you. I said, oh man, I feel sheepish. He was looking for me. I I was really immature. I was a less than lovable friend. And what did he do? Well, he kind of he said, what, what the heck? <laughs> He's like, what, you were a jerk. And I'm like, yeah, I know I was. And then he forgave me. And he extended true friendship to me. And he's still a good friend of mine. In fact, he and his wife and family are coming over for dinner right after church this Sunday morning. I'm grateful to have friends that love me when I am less than lovable. And so true friends love. Let's ask us ourselves that important question, friend or foe. Do my closest friends offer loving depth and honesty? Or do we just have things in common? Do they bring me closer to God or further away? Do my friends love me when I am less than lovable? Or more personally, do I offer my friends loving depth and honesty? Or do I just hang out with people I like? Do I bring other people closer to God or lead them further away? Do I love my friends when they are less than lovable? Friend or foe? What is the second aspect of true friendship? Well, we know from Proverbs that a true friend sharpens. And I'm not going to bring you to the proverb that you expect. (laughs) I'm going to instead point you to Proverbs 27, verse 6. So go ahead to the near the end of the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 6. And we read these words together. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A true friend doesn't just love you, but they give you the tough love when you need it, when that's required. They offer you the truth all the time, especially when you don't want to hear it. Those are the wounds of a friend. They hurt, 
but they are ultimately designed for your own good. They hurt, but they are what is required to draw you closer to God. They hurt because that is someone who is fighting for your soul. True friends sharpen. They are intentional and life-giving, which is so much different than an abusive friend who belittles you, who gossips about you, who talks about you behind your back, and who tears you down in front of other people. So church, please don't mishear or misunderstand me. I am not saying that tough love is just putting up with all the abusive things that may come your way in an unhealthy relationship. That is not what I'm talking about. The difference is in the motivation. Are you convinced that this person has your best interest in mind? Or do they just want to tear you down to make themselves feel better? Or do they want to bully you? Or do they just want to lead you around so that they can build themselves up? Like that's, that's the question. This is all about motivation. And never, ever share hard words with someone unless you're convinced of your own motivation towards them. That I, I believe this is what they need to hear. I believe this is something that God wants me to share with them. And yes, we can also go to that familiar proverb in 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, then one, so also one man sharpens another. And again, I don't find myself in a lot of smithies, but maybe, maybe you'll go to, to the Heritage Village one of these days on Pioneer Days or where they're doing some demonstrations and you'll see someone at the blacksmith at work and you'll realize just how difficult and hard the process is to have iron sharpening iron. It creates heat and friction and sparks and nothing about that process is comfortable. But what do you have in the end? You have something that is sharp, something that is strong, something that is productive and something that in friendship will spiritually endure. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. True friend will sharpen you. And here's the flip side. You will find many people who seek to please you, who will tell you what you want to hear. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's easy to find someone who will flatter you, who will you know, stroke your ego, who will say what you want to hear. It's easy, it's tempting to surround yourself with people who will just say yes to everything that you want to do. But those people may not be your true friends. Never enter a friendship looking for someone just to justify your selfish behavior. That is one of the worst things you can do. That's not God's will, and it's certainly not in line with this passage. Now, as a youth pastor... Again, just over 10 years ago, I had a pet peeve with this. And it's still one of the ways in which I've seen this not lived out the way that I'd hope it would be lived out. And so I would, I would be this youth pastor and I have these students in my group and they were, I was, they were sheep under my care. I was shepherding them. I wanted what was best for them. And pretty soon I'd hear, oh, you know, little Jane is, is, is now dating Jimmy, Jane and Jim. And so I would go to one of Jane's friends and be like, oh, I heard that Jane is dating Jim. Oh, Yeah. Oh, tell me a little bit about Jim. Yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> oh, Jim's a great guy. He treats her really well, full, really respectful. They're cute together. Is Jim a Christian? Well, no, but he, he doesn't, he's not opposed to it. He's not opposed to Jane being a Christian. Okay, you realize that just, you know, two weeks ago, we did a Bible study about not being unequally yoked. Like, we were, we're convinced that, 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 that having the spirit within us means we ought not to be yoked to anyone who does not also have that spirit. Did you share that with Jane? Oh, no, I, I, didn't, want, I didn't want to discourage her in her, her romantic relationship. I didn't, want, I didn't want her to feel bad. What 
does a true friend do there? What does a, a friend who sharpens, what does a friend who brings tough love do there? We need to have people in our life that will be willing to say, I know you're head over heels for this guy or this girl, but you need to slow down and consider the word of God. That's what it means to have tough love. That's what it means to sharpen one another. Are we willing to be that friend, to speak this way? Are we willing to receive these things? Wes Hill strives for this as well. He says, Living in the world as a celibate can be difficult to say the least. My body, culture, and many churches tell me that I'm denying myself an essential part of who I am when I remain celibate. The last thing that I need is a friend who urge me, urges me to find Mr. Wright and ride off in the sunset together. I need friends, both gay and straight, who challenge me in my desires to remain committed to the historic church teaching on sexual ethics. Despite the difficulty and sacrifice, I need friends who will call me back when I don't or don't want to submit to that teaching. I especially need those who lovingly and patiently spur me on when I'm striving to pursue celibacy, even if not always perfectly. They are often allies in a fight that I don't want to be in, but one in which I need reminded of the immensity of its importance. Dr. Hill needs a friend who will, who will sharpen him, give him that tough love. But at the end of that quote, he also says, I also need friends who love me and sharpen me and encourage me in the positive way that I'm trying to live my life. So truth-telling isn't just about the tough love. It's a balance with encouragement. So don't go from here and take up the flag of, I'm going to be a hard truth-teller and I don't care what people think. Well, no, that's not the entire picture. If something is also good or true or trustworthy or honorable or God-fearing in someone's life, make sure you tell them that truth as well. A few years ago, my phone rang and I had a message on it. It was from my cousin Brad. Brad and I are only two days apart. I'm two days older than him. And I tell him, I rub that in his face at any given moment, anytime I can. I'm two days older than him. But we, we're family, but we've been close and we're friends. We're still friends. And this message is from him and I open it and it was two sentences. This is what it said. Hey, I really meant to message you before, but I admire that you're a good father and husband to your family. Being a solid man is getting more rare these days. Is it? Two senses out of the blue. Man, that meant a whole lot to me. I mean, I don't always think he's right. <laughs> I, I'm not doing this perfectly, but, but I'm glad he saw something. And when he saw it, he was willing to let me know. And I feel a bit convicted. Like, do I do that when I see something admirable and God-fearing in someone? Do I let them know? Do I, am I as easy with those words of true encouragement as I am with a tough love? Because the next time Brad sees something in me that needs to be challenged, how much more open do you think I will be now to accept those words because of the words of encouragement that he gave me? Right? I will be much more open to that. It's about balancing the sweet and the salty. So I ask you again, a true friend sharpens. Friend or foe? Are your closest friend, friends willing to tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it? Or do they, do they sharpen you to become more like Christ? Do they balance tough love with encouragement? Are you willing to tell the truth to your friends even when they don't want to hear it? Do you sharpen others to become more like Christ? Do you balance tough love with encouragement? Important questions. And the last aspect of, of true friendship I want to bring out from Proverbs is that a true friend sticks I really wanted to say a true friend is sticky, but I thought that that might come across the wrong way. 
So a true friend sticks. You can find this proverb in chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A sticky friend. And as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, in friendship, we really need quality over quantity. So hear me out, church. It really, 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 really does not matter how many Facebook friends you have. Or how many people liked an Instagram post. Or how many people retweeted your tweet. I'm not on Twitter. I think you can probably tell. I don't know how Twitter actually works. But it just does not matter what numerical following you have on social media at all. It doesn't matter at all. Because social media, as, as, a, as, a, just as an entity, promotes large quantities of shallow connection, which is exactly what this proverb warned against. Exactly what it warned against. So it does not matter. Then how do we, as a, as a culture and as a world that has all this access to social media, do we just switch it off? How do we use this appropriately in our friendships? And I would say that we need to balance or strive for both immediacy and intimacy together. Because what I'm not saying is that social media is all bad. There are some very valuable things about it. And it provides us immediacy. And as a pastor, this is an important too. So when something happens in somebody's life, they can immediately post about it or take a picture or create a story and they can share with their friends and followers, this has happened to me. And then I, as a pastor or as a friend, can immediately like it, laugh with them, cry with them, send comfort or encouragement. I can do that right away. And that's valuable. That's important. That's something that social media provides us with. But that should never just be the totality of it. That's not the depth of friendship we need. We need to go deeper. We need to balance that immediacy with intimacy. Because when you are grieving, you need a literal shoulder to cry on. And when you are tired, you need someone to physically hug. And when you are lonely, you need to gather together with friends, with the people of God. Right? We need that immediacy. Yes, we also need that intimacy. We need to find out who those few friends are that will walk beside us, side by side, through thick and thin. Closer than a brother, which means as close as it gets, because a brother is family, and you can unfriend someone, but you can't unbrother someone. I mean, trust me, my brother's been trying it for years, and it still hasn't worked. He's still stuck with me. You can't unbrother someone. So who are those friends that you just can't undo? They are sticky. They are beside you, no matter what. I love the way that Wes Hill puts it once more. We need faithful friends who, through thick and thin, continue to press us with the reminder and warning that Jesus is worth it. To not give up, to not give in, and to continue to seek after the one to whom and for whom we were created. We need those, like Sam and Tolkien's great saga, I like Dr. Hill because he's also a Tolkien nerd, who will continue with us from beginning to end and won't leave us to our own devices. Instead, they will track us down to make sure that we run the race before us to the end. Help us persevere, to help us run towards Jesus, to help us stay on the path, to not lose hope, to not lose faith. And yes, it is the toughest times that reveal the stickiest of friends. Part of my journey here at Stony Brook has been uh, that year and a half ago in which uh, my family and I found out quite suddenly of my mom's terminal diagnosis. It was one phone call from my dad and all of a sudden the world just went, gray. Couldn't wrap my head around it. I couldn't sleep 
couldn't eat properly, couldn't think properly, just putting one foot in front of the other. It was just a haze. And so many of you sent messages, came to my door, dropped off food, and more importantly, coffee. And that mattered greatly. And I'm not just saying this, that if you didn't do any of that, I'm not guilting you. I'm not saying you weren't a good friend. I'm just saying that I have so many other examples of, of other situations and other friends that have come to bat when times were dark and tough and when even faith is threatened. That's when I need friends. That's when you need friends. I'm sure you have stories like that in your own life as well. The toughest times reveal the stickiest of friends. So one last time, I want you to think, truly, friend or foe? Do you have many shallow friendships or a few sticky friends? Do you know who those are that will stick closer than a brother or a sister? Are you willing to get close enough to someone and stick by their side through all of life's challenges? Or do you like to keep your distance? Friend or foe? Now the truth is, church, there is only one perfectly true friend in this world. And it's not me. It's not you not anyone you're a friend with in this setting. It is Jesus. That's it. Even your best friend will let you down at some point. And even if you try to take all the notes, like pastor preached a great sermon, I took every note, I'm going to do everything on here. You're, you're not going to be the best friend a person can be either. You're going to let them down too. Your truest friend is Jesus. Being fully God and fully man, he is perfect in his friendship, and unchanging amidst our stormy lives. He will always love you, he will always sharpen you, and he will always stick by you. Perfectly, completely, forever. As the music team comes back up, I want to share one more scripture passage with you. This is Jesus speaking to his followers, words that we can hear and be encouraged by today. In John 15, verses 13 to 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus invites you into friendship with him. What I love about the beginning of this service is we, we stood together, we raised our hands, and we sang about the glory of God and his holiness and his majesty. And then Roger shared how he was struck by the immensity of this God that we serve. And it is that same God, without lessening any of who he is, that, that extends his hand to us and says, I, I choose, I will sacrifice myself, I desire to call myself friend that true, perfect friendship. And that belief and trust in Jesus is your starting point not only in faith, but also your starting point of friendship. So that as you have this friendship with the one in whose image you're created, that that can just pour out into all of your own relationships and you can be a true friend to others and surround yourself with people who are the same to you. Jesus delights in giving us healthy friendships with other people. And so Continue as you leave from here. Continue to ask yourself, friend or foe. Be discerning in your relationships. Who are your true friends? And be willing, if needed, to leave toxic and unhealthy relationships behind. But be also a true friend to others. Do not take away from this sermon just thinking about how your friends are to you. 
be most inspired about how you can be a friend to other people and seek out good spiritual friendships. Your truest friend, through thick and thin, is Jesus. Let's sing this truth together. Would you stand?